Well, let us turn to God's word now. Uh, we are going to read the book of Nehem- in the book of Nehemiah and in Nehemiah chapter uh, 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Cheslev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Henani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, I will scatter you among the people. If you are unfaithful, excuse me, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name And give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was a cupbearer to the king. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that we have read together. We pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would grant us understanding of this passage in connection with Jesus Christ and his church. We pray that your Holy Spirit, Father, would apply uh, this uh, word to our hearts this morning so that we would continue to serve your beloved Son as he has called us to serve him, that we might take up our cross and follow him. So thank you for this passage, and thank you for this time, this historical event in our day right now, at this moment where we have heard it and where it is preached to us. We pray this for our good and for your glory, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 
Well, dear brothers and sisters, you might recall that the Lord brought his people back, that is, brought Judah, the Judeans, back from Babylonian captivity in three waves. The first wave occurred under Zerubbabel in 538 B.C., and you can read of this in the book of Ezra, chapters 1 through 6. The second wave of returnees uh, occurred under Ezra in the year 458 B.C., and you can read of this third, uh, there's the second return in Ezra chapter 7 through 10. And the third wave happened 13 years after Ezra 10 in the spring of 445 BC. And the leader this time was a man by the name of Nehemiah, a godly Jew who was also a cupbearer to Artaxerxes the Persian king. And this morning in Nehemiah chapter chapter 1, we begin learning uh, about his story. And we want to focus on this chapter this morning. And I want to draw your attention to the message of this first chapter in Nehemiah. It's a message that we especially need to hear in our own day so that we might have hope for God's visible church the body of our Lord Jesus Christ on earth. Now, does the church have trouble? Yes, it does. And particularly, maybe even more so, as a result of coronavirus. Is it right for us to mourn over the church and to pray for her? And the answer to that is yes. So the church does have trouble. The church needs to be prayed for. But then here's the third question. Has the Lord forsaken us in the midst of our trouble? No. In his compassion, God Almighty keeps his covenant. He keeps his promises. And so our great eternal God keeps his attention on us. He hears our prayers for the church No matter what trouble, no matter what fear, no matter what shame we go through. In other words, our great God will build his church. Christ will save and sanctify his people and show the world of the grace of Jesus Christ through the church. So in in a nutshell, this is the message that we find in Nehemiah chapter 1. There are three things that I want us to note this morning very carefully and to apply it to our lives. And the first is this, the weak and troubled church. The second is the godly sorrow of the Christian for the church. And the third, the loving attention that God gives his church. As you noticed uh, in the reading this morning in verses 2 through 3, we recognize the weak, troubled church. Notice it says there in verse, two, verse one, now it happened in the month of Cheslev in the 20th years I was in Susa the citadel that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there, the church there, in the province 
who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. At this time in the history of God's gospel plan in the 5th century BC, the Old Testament church was in a very wayward condition. Thirteen years earlier, uh, under God's uh, wonderful grace, under Ezra, that church, our brothers and sisters, had repented of the sin of intermarriage with unbelievers and pagans. And that church, uh, they were seeking God at that time under Ezra's leadership. You can read of this great revival, of this repentance, of this walking with God in Ezra 9, verse 14, all the way through to Ezra chapter 10 and verse 2. But now, only 13 years later, now God's people were again in great trouble and great shame. And they were afraid to rebuild, which is why it says in verse, at the end of verse 3, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates and its gates are destroyed by fire. Why? Why were God's people in great trouble and great shame? Well, first of all, because of their hardness of heart. You might remember the prophet Malachi, which is the last book of our Old Testament. Well, you see, Malachi was serving in the church in Judah at this time. And he was preaching to the church. And he was saying that the church was ungodly and he was exposing her sins. He told the church in particular, that they were insensible to the love of God. They were hard-hearted to God. As it says in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2, have I loved you, says the Lord? I have loved you. But then the people were saying, how have you loved us, Lord? They were insensible, insensitive, hard-hearted to the love of God. God's people were also weak and troubled due to the attacks of God's enemies. You can read of this in Nehemiah chapters two through six. Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, the Samaritans, and Gershom, the Arab, opposed God and his kingdom. They taunted God's people. They plotted their demise. Their motto comes out in Nehemiah chapter four and verse 11, which reads, and our enemies said, They will not know or see till we have come among them and kill them and stop their work. So we could say that the enemy's motto was this, kill them and stop the work. Also, God's people were weak and troubled, not only because they had a hard heart, as the prophet Malachi exposes, not only because they had enemies, but also because of the fear of the enemy. You see, the fear of man freezes us. And from Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14, we know that Nehemiah had to encourage God's people because they were afraid. It says this in Nehemiah 4 and verse uh, 14. And I, that is Nehemiah, looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. 
So no wonder the walls and gates of Jerusalem were left in shambles and were not being rebuilt. The people were afraid. Yes, at this time, God's church was weak and troubled. She is weak and troubled often. And this should not surprise you and me today. Scripture displays for us the up and the down, the sin and the repentant life of the church of Jesus Christ. Think of God's assembly in Noah's day. They were saved by the grace of God, and after they came off the ark, they worshiped God, but it wasn't long before Noah got drunk and Canaan was cursed. Israel, when delivered from Egypt, worships God at Sinai and promises to love the Lord, but then she sins, and then she repents, and then she sins again, and then she repents again, so much so that Moses says this in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 11, Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once if I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. And what of Joshua's day? The church in Joshua's day described in Joshua chapter 24 where this man, this man of God stands up to the church and says, put away your idols. Put away your idols. And then Joshua says, I'm not going to worship the idols. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then the people stood up. Oh, yes, Joshua, us too. We're going to serve the Lord as well. And then Joshua says, but you can't serve the Lord. You still have idols. You're not able to serve the Lord. And then he calls upon them to repent again. And think about the, the times of the judges. The church is weak and troubled. The great men and women of faith, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Deborah, Jephthah, lived at this time. And while they lived, God's people did right for a while, but then they fell back into sin again, doing that which was right in their own eyes. And what of the Old Testament church under David and under Solomon and the other godly kings? Oh, there were times of great blessing, revival under Solomon, revival under Asa, revival under Jehoshaphat. But then the people hardened their hearts. They, re- they didn't keep the Sabbath day. The people feared man. They wanted to be like the world. The children uh, took upon themselves idolatry and, and worshipped under every terebinth tree. The people uh, uh, turned to idolatry and let their children pass through the fires of Moloch. They didn't serve the Lord, and trouble, trouble, trouble came. Jeremiah sums it up, doesn't he, in his prophecy in chapter 7 and verse 23. But this this command I give them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. 
but they did not obey or inclined their ear, but walked in their own counsels and in the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward, not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day, yet they did not listen to me or inclined their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. And Nehemiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he put it this way in Nehemiah 1, verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing their sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And of course, the church at Corinth, filled with trouble. The church at Galatia. And think of the six, and, six out of the seven churches in Asia were churches that all had blessings from God and problems. And then there are the churches of our day, including our local church. We are weak too. We're weak in trouble due to the hardness of our hearts. You know, the heart in the Bible represents the whole person, mind, will, and emotion. We know that when we were born, we were sinful in heart, hard-hearted, and in our sinful nature, we spurned God. But we also know that a Christian, like you and me, who are born again by God's Holy Spirit, we are given a new heart, we're given a new life, and we believe God, and we love God, and we love life in God. But sin is still with us, so that we know what it's like to live a life of Jonah, where we hear the word of God, and we don't want to do it, and we run the other way. We understand David too, don't we? David, a man after God's own heart, and yet he lusted after Bathsheba. We know what it's like, even as born-again people, to spurn the word of God. Yes, this is something that all of us connect with. You see, if there's any place on earth where people need Jesus Christ and his love and his forgiving grace, it is in the church. It is here with you and me. You see, we, I, you, add to the weakness of this congregation. Sometimes when we harden our hearts, we add to the trouble in the church. Sometimes when we get in the flesh and we have selfish ambition, we say things at a fellowship that we shouldn't say. We cause this kind of ruffle or ripple through the church. And, oh, we, we recognize that the church's weakness here comes from me too. Sometimes my hard heart. But also we are weak and troubled 
because of the enemy of God attacks us. You know, Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. John in the book of Revelation links Satan and demons with persecution, opposition, and apostasy in the church. The devil attacks, his demons attack to cause us, you and me, here at Riverside, to turn away from Jesus. He doesn't want us to persevere to the end. He wants us to break off from Christ. And so he attacks and he attacks. But we also have the enemy of the unbelieving world. We know that we're not to love the world. It's the evil system of Satan. And we know that worldliness, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life come into our lives and sometimes they come into our lives to get us to cast God away. And we're tempted sometimes because of our worldliness to turn away from the Lord. The enemy of the worldliness attacks us, attacks us, attacks us. You see, we, the church, are the kingdom of God. We are the light of the world. But the kingdom of darkness hates Christ's kingdom. We have enemies. And it is difficult to be different, isn't it? We have enemies and it's different to, difficult for us to be maligned. When we go to work and we're Christians and people begin to mock us or we're in un, in our unsaved family members, we're with them and they begin to uh, call us names because we are different. And you know, it takes the humility of Christ in us to be willing to be weak, to be weak in the world's eyes. You see, we need the Lord's word of 1 Peter chapter number 5 and verse 8, which says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, come, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We need that word because we have trouble from our enemies. And sometimes if we listen to our enemies, we become weak. And that brings me to the other thing, that we are weak in trouble because we're afraid of the enemy. You see, from the time Adam fell and said to God, I was afraid, all the way to the book of Revelation, the topic of you and me as mankind being afraid, terrified, comes up over and over again. Mankind is terrified of God, which is why they are bent on killing him, denying any doctrine of creation, denying any semblance of biblical truth because they don't want to confront God. But mankind is not only terrified of God, we're terrified of our fellow man. We're afraid anxious. Well, as God's people, we have to watch out for being fearful of the enemies of God. After all, we are free in Jesus Christ. The truth has set us free, and we don't need to be afraid anymore. We are in the Lord, 
And yet, brothers and sisters, Israel was given the promised land. But when they heard the report of the spies, of the great uh, giants in the world, of the great giants in the pagan uh, ideals, their hearts melted. And they they were petrified in fear. It says in Deuteronomy 1 that their hearts melted in terror. And that's us too. We're often afraid of our enemies. The Lord in the Old Testament and in the New Testament tells us, don't be afraid of Satan. Don't be afraid of evil people who can only kill our bodies but can't kill our souls. The Bible tells us over and over again that we shouldn't be afraid of unbelievers who can persecute us. God tells us this because we can easily be terrified. But you say, Pastor, we have the Word of God. We have Jesus Christ and it will keep us from being afraid, right? Well, yes, Christ and his word will keep us in the power of the Holy Spirit from being afraid if we receive God's word by faith and if we receive Christ by faith in our hearts. You see, during Nehemiah's day, the church had God's word in a wonderful way. Because as we know from Ezra chapter 7, And as we know from Nehemiah chapter 9, Ezra, the priest, was in Judah at this time, going around, reading the law of the Lord, preaching the law of the Lord, giving people the sense, the meaning of the word of God, but the people in their hard hearts were not listening in faith. And this is why later on in Nehemiah chapter 5, you you see sin again in the church where people from within the church were exploiting the poor, selling their brothers and sisters into slavery. And Nehemiah had to confront that because the people had the Bible, had the word of God, but weren't listening. And so when the enemy came, they were afraid. And this can be us. We have the word of God. But if we don't receive it in faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, our hard hearts will grow. Our enemies will be an easy target, will be an easy target for our enemies. And fear will dominate. You see, we have to receive the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit with faith in our hearts. So yes, here the church was weak. But then we come to something amazing. The godly sorrow of the Christian for the church. Now here I want us to understand something this morning. The Christian is a person who with a new heart, and this brings to him or her a new vision, a new ambition. A Christian is a person, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who has an amazing Holy Spirit vision and ambition, and it is this, 
to see God glorified in the flourishing of his church. And in the history of God's church, there have always been people with great zeal for God's church because, you see, it's God's very own zeal. God has a passion, he has a love, he has a zeal that he flourish the body of Jesus Christ. What does the Bible say in Proverbs 29, where there is no prophet, uh, prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint? Or as in the King James Bible, where there is no vision, the people perish. And so you see, God has seen to it and still sees to it that his covenant people have godly men and godly women in her midst who are keen and who are thrilled over the paramount institution of our great God, where God is glorified, where the gospel is proclaimed, and the gospel is advanced, and it is the church. And in this way, the gospel goes out in the world as you and I as Christians love Christ's church. Now, when a person is in Christ, something happens to us. Something happens to us and it is this. We care deeply about this congregation. Even when she's weak and troubled. You see, as a Christian, you and I, we connect with Moses who was so overwhelmed at the sins of God's people, yet he still loved God's people and he prayed for God's people. We connect with Joshua, who longed that the idols be removed from within the church, and yet he never gave up on the church and preached to the church. We connect with Deborah, that godly woman, during the time of of the judges, where the men were not serving the Lord, where she was involved in stirring their hearts to faith, to believe in God's people. We connect with Paul where we carry the concerns of Christ's church. We connect with Jeremiah. We weep, we have sorrow, we pray for the church and this brings us to verse four. We connect with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a Christian and he had a godly grief, a godly fasting, a godly burden because the people's great need to repent Uh, and go on for the Lord was there in front of his eyes and his heart. Nehemiah also had a godly grief, a godly fasting and a burden because he knew also that because the people were living in sin, God's name was being reproached by that sin and scorn was being cast upon his people. Notice his sorrow in verse four. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. Happy are they who carry a Christ-like sorrow with them. You see, we commune with God in sorrow, in fasting and prayer over the same things that Jesus cried over. And what did Jesus cry over? What did Jesus mourn over? He mourned over people's sin. He mourned over the fact that people had a sheep, that there were sheep without a shepherd. And he mourned over the church that was in trouble 
Because he looked over the church as he looked over Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And he wept. Now, I hope God is calling you to be a Christian, to stand in the gap. Now, there are no more prophets today. There are no more apostles among us who weep and pray. But there is still the vision of God before us. And that vision of God that is given to us is in his word. And his son reveals it to us by the Holy Spirit through the word. The vision that God is glorified in his church through his people. The vision that God in Christ is building his church and that all the elect throughout the world will be saved and come into the Lord's home, the Lord's family. And may God give you this vision today to see God glorified in the flourishing of his church. That dear congregation, you do not let the fear of COVID-19 or the difficulties in understanding one another and how you respond through COVID-19 to come in and tear you apart. Love is to be among us. Love for one another and love for God particularly that we love the church. That we work with her in the midst of the weaknesses that we're feeling now and in the midst of the troubles that have come upon us. You know, the devil is attacking, but we are not ignorant of his devices. So we need to make sure that when that attack comes, that we're not afraid and that we respond, not in selfish ambition, but that we respond in love. Because we are saved And we have a vision, a vision for the church. And so we pray for her at this time. We don't give up on her. We we pray for her. If we hear of trouble somewhere, we, we take it to the Lord in prayer. We mourn over it. We weep over it. We don't give up on her, but we pray. You see, the church is no sinking ship, though the church has many leaks in her. The church is going to make it to port. She's going to make it to port. We are the bride of Christ. And the Lord will not let us go. And that brings me to the conclusion this this morning. The loving attention God gives the church. You see, in his faith-filled sorrow, Nehemiah turned to the Lord And verses 5 through 11 record his prayer. I'm not going to go through the entire prayer this morning, but what I want us to notice today is how the prayer begins and ends. Notice in verse 5, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear, notice this word, be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. 
And then notice verse 11. O Lord, let your ear, here's the word, be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Did you notice that? Attentive? Is the Lord attentive to us when we pray for one another? When we pray for the presbytery? When we pray for the church at this time? Yes. For he is a God who is Jehovah, the covenant-keeping, faithful God who purposes every day of our history to promote and further his gospel, the glory of his son. So this Nehemiah had this burden and God laid it on his heart because God is faithful. God will lay it upon your heart to not give up on his church and to be faithful and pray for her through every weakness, through every trouble, because he, through us, will not give up on his church. God is love. And we know that love in his son, and now we know that love in this world through his body, the church. Notice how Nehemiah had the good hand of God on him. And notice also how the good hand of God was on the people over and over again. And as God's good hand was on Nehemiah and on the people, they had a zeal to work for the Lord. You can read of that in chapter 2 in the rest of the book of Nehemiah. The people had a zeal for God and for his church because God had his hand upon them. And the result was that the gospel plan was moved forward. The temple was being rebuilt. The city of Zion was being rebuilt. The genealogy in Judah through which Christ would come was again established. All the messages of the temple the messages of the priestly activities, which all pointed to Messiah Jesus, that was being rebuilt. Yes, God's good hand was on his people to move the gospel of Christ forward. God gives loving attention to his church for the sake of his son. God the Father sent Christ. God the Son became man and as man shed his blood for the church. God the Holy Spirit has baptized our church. Yes, the good hand of our God is upon us. Though the church has had and still has her weaknesses and trouble, our almighty God pays attention to us even to this day. And he does not forsake us. As it says in Psalm 94 verse 14, the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Here in the fifth century, our brothers and sisters were very weak and troubled. Hard-hearted, enemies all around them, fear. 
But Nehemiah pled confidently with the Lord on the basis of the Lord's faithful promises and love that if his people return to him, he will restore them. Our church is weak and troubled. But he prays for us. Christ prays for us, and our Father is attentive. So let's think of Jesus, our priest, praying, as it says in Hebrews 5, verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly reverence. Our Lord is still with us, praying for us, and our Heavenly Father hears our prayers and has blessed our church with the Holy Spirit. And so, let us have a burden for the church, pray for her, love her, fast for her, weep for her, But let us never leave her. Let's be faithful. For this is the body of Christ. And God loves his church. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful word. It shows us the reality of life in the church. It doesn't hide any of the blemishes and the sins that we often bring to her. It it tells us the honest truth of our life. But we also thank you that it tells us the honest truth of your power and forgiveness. That you still love us. You still care for us. In all of our weaknesses and all of our trouble. We know, Lord, that There are many uh, people that are in our local assembly. Some have stronger faith than others. Some are growing in leaps and bounds today, and others are in the midst of a real struggle and a pause in their Christian growth. And some, Lord, are backslidden. Some have been tempted to hardness of heart. And Lord, in our church, there could also be tares together with the wheat. And yet you love our life. And you love it that we live life together as your people. You rejoice that there is a light here in Cambridge. And you rejoice in all of the life of Riverside Church over all these years. And you have been intimately involved, empowering all the people throughout the years to serve in this local assembly. You've maintained this congregation through every weakness and trouble. And you've given her men and women who have never given up. And that is all because of your grace. Thank you. And thank you that you will continue this. And so we pray that you would help us today to have this wonderful vision, to yield to what you're teaching us, God, Holy Spirit, that that it's a wonderful thing to be part of this family so that we might continue to pray for her and, and, and fast for her and 
weep for her through every situation, particularly now, Lord. We know, God, that all things come from you and all things work together for good and the trial of our faith works patience and strength in us. And this coronavirus has been a trial for us. And we pray that you would help us during this time to love you and love one another and to pray for wisdom and discernment and unity and witness for your glory and honor and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.